Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreau and joined by my partner in crime, Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? It's going great. It's been a really fun day today, Serge. How you been? Oh, I've been great. Yeah, tell me about that fun day because you just told me that you were at Indian Interactive. So obviously the online version. How was it? It was absolutely flawless. Yeah. It was easy to navigate, uh, really well done, very well timed, like not a hitch and and really good to be able to jump in and out of sessions. We signed up for one and it was going, oh, geez, no, I want to watch something else. It was really easy to shift between the two and it was all done live, which I found amazing. And a lot of the presenters, you could tell they were at home. (laughs) They were not all in a professional studio. So those that were hosting like the different speakers and stuff, the real fun part was at the end, they had the keynote speaker was Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, Matthew and Gil King was King, And they talked a lot about his book. And and I know you've read it. And I think now I'm definitely going to go out and buy it because there was a point where he was speaking search and I felt emotional. Mm. I did. He was talking about his decision to pivot in his career and how much courage that had to take. And it did take to stick to guns, right? Wow. Wow. That pivot was, so obviously he became the rom-com guy. So he appeared in every romantic comedy. He was just a guy to go to. And one point he decided, look, the money's great, but it's not what I want to do. I want to be a serious actor. And actually, his first role, I think, was Lincoln Lawyer. It did really well. Then he really went into that rom-com. Then he decided, hey, I want to be in serious movies again. And he wasn't getting those calls. So he stopped taking those rom-com movies. And it took two to three years before he he finally got the movie and he got Dallas... Buyers Club, which is one of the best movies I've my, ever watched. I was going to say my favorite movie of his was never the rom-coms. Dallas no. Buyers Club was, and I love movies that are based on true stories, but you're absolutely right. And and the part that I didn't know was why did the rom-coms, it's not like he wasn't making good money. He had all the fame and the attention, but he said it, it happened at the same time he had his first son, Levi or his first Mm -hmm. child. And he said, it didn't reflect the man I am right now in my life. Yep. And although, which which is interesting, because when you're acting, that's the point, (laughs) you're acting, but he really felt it it was so important to him. And that's the part that kind of zinged me in the heart. I was like, I get it. I get it. And only a a first time parent would understand that. What does that really mean when your first child is born? Yeah. What's your favorite movie? What's your favorite Matthew McConaughey movie? I'm going back to his first movie in which he had no acting lessons, nothing yet. She created a tagline that he still has to this day. Yeah, yeah. And it'll tell you a little bit about me. So Dazed and Confused is actually my favorite Matthew McConaughey movie. <laughs> and his, his line that it came out of nowhere was actually Adlib. All right, all right, all right. I love saying that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, no, actually, I think Dallas Buyers Club was probably one of, yeah, definitely one of my favorite. Shelly, yeah. so what yeah. are we going to talk about today? 
today. I have a feeling this is going to go really quickly because I think we've got some opposite opinions and thoughts on this. So what I wanted to talk about is something I think everybody in talent acquisition is feeling right now. And that's like, what the fuck is going on in the labor market right now? I think there was anticipation of what was going to happen and it's not happening. Some interesting stats and what I, I was reading a summary of the world economic forum. So we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll see if we agree, or maybe we stand apart on a few things. The second thing that we're going to talk about today is an article I read that I think might get you a little fired up search. I hope you took some, maybe some um, chamomile tea or something before we met, <laughs> because we're going to call bullshit on the fact that there's a shortage of software developers. So we'll see how that one goes. And then the last one is an article from the evil HR lady. And uh, we're going to talk about fat people in the workplace. So Susan Lucas, I think is her name. And yeah. I've come across her before because, so Disrupt HR, I'm on their list and every week they send the most viewed Disrupt HR performance or presentations. Yeah. And she is always like four out of the five every week. So I don't know what she's doing, but man, she's killing it with Disrupt HR. This article is very very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's disruptive. I think I'm going to be very unpopular after I uh, share my opinion on it. So- Great topic, Shelley. Let's get into it. Okay, let's jump into the first one and talk a bit about some of the things that we were expecting to happen right about now in the labor market. And it's not what we were expecting. So for example, what we are hearing, and we've been hearing this now, I'd say for about the last 60 to 90 days, surge that in McDonald's in Florida has to pay people. Burger King's given away free breakfast sandwiches just to get people to come and interview. And people are pointing fingers around what is it that people don't want to come back to work. And my hair's on fire when I hear people say well, people are inherently lazy. And if the government gives them money, why would they go back and work? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we've heard it since the beginning of time. That is, even when Canada came out with a social welfare system, that it would create this inherent laziness in people. And I don't believe that at all. As a matter of fact, if I believed that, I probably would have stopped being a recruiter in the very first year yes. I started, if I really believe that about people. So I don't believe that at all. So what was interesting about this article from the World Economic Forum is that they had seven different world economists chime in on what's happening. What is this paradox we're seeing as different world economies are coming out of lockdown and we're trying to bring work back online. And so what I like the best is I really believe that it's a bottleneck. I think it's temporary and I think it's affecting only certain parts or certain sectors of workers. And I think for highly skilled jobs, nothing's changed. What are you seeing, Sirt? What do you think? I know we've been hearing the same thing, but based on this article, what stuck out to you? Well, there's a couple of things that stuck out to me and actually one that was pretty shocking to me. I didn't expect it. In 2020, 255 million full-time jobs were lost, Mm -hmm. which is four times what it was in 2009 during the global financial crisis. So major impact across the world. So obviously COVID has not only affected the Western economies, it's affected the whole world across the board. If you think about it, 255 million jobs is an insane amount. And this is where there's a disconnect. So 
To your point, we're hearing a lot about complaints. Some sectors, they just can't find people. And there's the points that they called out that they thought maybe were factors to the government being overly generous when it comes to the benefits and obviously everything happening with COVID as far as the type of payments they've been doing. I don't agree with that. And I'll dig in deeper. There's still fearful workers. There's still people that don't want to go work in an office every yeah. day and be exposed based on pre-existing conditions, living with an mm-hmm. elderly parent that hasn't been vaccinated yet. So I think that's real legit because we might think that COVID is we're at the end and we are probably at the end, but there's still very real risks there for a lot of people. I, I get that. Then... This is the one that's interesting, skill mismatch. So to your earlier point, I think there are sectors of the economy that are changing dramatically. I think when it comes to, even though we have companies struggling in hiring and McDonald's is the example, but Chipotle had a career fair. They had 24,000 people show up. Imagine. They had what do we know 000. about Chipotle though? What they we know well. is... They uh, first of all, is yeah. I love Chipotle's. Yeah, so good. They're paying fifteen dollars an hour. So yeah, here so, in Canada, we're like that's minimum wage, but the U.S. where the minimum wage is seven dollars and twenty five cents, which is fifteen thousand dollars a year. Yeah. So any CEO that's saying that his employees are lazy, I'll tell you this: if you're paying me seven dollars and twenty five an hour, and I'm comparing it to or whatever I'm getting from the government. Yeah, I'm going to take that $5. So pay more if you need people. But those were the critical elements. IT, financial sector, there's a massive skill shortage and mismatch is probably Mm -hmm. the right word. Mm -hmm. Then when we look at hospitality, retail, it's going to be a really rough rough for the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. I think our habits have changed. When it comes to traveling and that might go back to the way it was, but like when staying in hotels on planes, I think that's going to take a little while before it fully recovers or it might never recover in some ways. Retail might never recover to what it was. Right. Why would we go back? Yeah. I buy it online, not only Amazon, but the one thing that we're not talking about and we should be is women in the workforce. They have left the workforce at a higher number than we've mm. ever seen. Yeah. And we need women in the workforce. We need to figure out mm-hmm. childcare. Like this seems like a lot of people on the conservative end don't feel we should have really advantageous childcare packages or subsidies. But unfortunately, f- females are feeling the weight yeah. of having your kids at home like i was telling you is okay we have a nanny at my house so it hasn't affected my wife but what's the percentage of people that have nannies so when their kids can't go to school how do you work and take care of you your can't. kids yeah you can't no it's impossible and then if you also have to care for seniors it is all going to fall on the shoulders of someone and yeah. it, it unfortunately you're right that there is what's it, i just saw a term the other day they called it a she session not a recession, a she session, meaning women, just that we are going to have an absolute deficit of women in the workforce. And it's starting now. And it will have a long term effect on the workforce and the available workers. So I think that's part of the, the bottleneck as well, 
is not just age groups or demographics or job types or transferable skills, because, you know, what we saw early in the the very first lockdown in 2020 was organizations, the likes of major hotel chains that were saying, rather than furlough our workers, move them over to CVS pharmacies or grocery stores. So like they have customer service skills, right? I think we all forgot about, but I was recently reminded of it. So I thought that was super yes. cool. The other big thing, Serge, when we talk about travel and travel grinding to a halt, I used to be very involved in, and just really interest of mine as well, was immigration. Yep. It was something that I'd done in really the last 10, 11 years of my corporate career, immigration and relocation were in my portfolio. So I just had just an ongoing curiosity about how the rules and laws are changing and what was changing. But the fact of the matter is Canada's population is not growing. It's two kids, sometimes three, if you have a set of twins there. <laughs> surge, but it's two kids. Usually yeah. they're stopping at two kids. And so what does that mean for our economy? That means we really do have to rely on bringing in on new talent coming into the country. Germany's got this figured out in space. The US did now. And I think that's part of the bottleneck that nobody's talking about was if you have frozen any sort of travel anywhere, what, where are the workers that would normally be doing, say the fruit picking or certain roles that was usually heavily dependent on, on immigrants, but more importantly, like entry level roles. Well, let's talk about, it's new Canadians or new Americans. Let's talk about tech. So Mm -hmm. Canada is becoming the Silicon Valley of the North. And the main reason for it was four years of policies that were very anti-immigration in the U.S., which these people all found a different place to go. Toronto has almost as many tech workers and highly skilled tech workers than a lot of those central places in the U.S. that was attracting those skill sets from overseas. So policies from the U.S. is definitely affecting their skills mismatch as well, not to get political, but... It's a fact. In Canada, a major surge of skill tech, and I'm saying tech. Actually, tech is not a good definition. This is from highly skilled types of roles that we get from immigration. So we've actually had an advantage, but... Yeah. So the last point that I, I wanted to bring up on this World Economic Forum from The Economist was the final comment made by the chief economist at LinkedIn. I thought I got to ask Serge about this. The thing that she mentioned was that job seekers are focused on finding the best job match, not the first match. Yes. With potential employers. And so, of course, she'd be referring to job postings on LinkedIn, which I know you and I agree are like, it's just, it's a dog's breakfast out there. You can't tell what's legit, right? Much like Google for jobs. But do you think that's true? Do you think that job seekers are focused on finding the best job? It's a polite way of saying that I'm not going to work for $7 an hour when I can wait until Chipotle's hiring and, and get 15. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, think? do you think that's the undercurrent there? Oh, I definitely think there is a lot of people have rethought what a career, what a job, what that looks like. No one wants to go back to your toxic work environment. No one wants to go work for $7 an hour. When we talk about supply and demand, and this is the whole factor around capitalism is let the market dictate. Well, let the market dictate what people are willing to go to work for. What the job postings are telling me, similar to what Indy's numbers are, job postings are way up people applying are way down or job site traffic is way down. And 
that shows the two Not things. Way down. But well, it is down. disparate. It is disparate, definitely. Well, I think it's 20% up, 20% down. So you've got a 40% gap that there was before. So that's fairly substantial. We've not so. seen that before. I, I think not... that's the part that is temporary. I do. Because if you're looking at aggregate data, that is, we're talking about cross Canada. If you're looking at aggregated data, it's not taking into account that say in Alberta, we've just opened up, whereas restaurants and, and hospitality and, and so on and so forth has have opened up sooner in other parts of Canada. We, mm. we had it the worst here. So we're, so it's a bit of a bottle at yes. the moment. I still yeah. think the grand resonation or the tsunami of people uh, resigning take this job and shove it. Yeah. Is happening. Yes. It's not happening as quickly as we expect, but it is happening. It's a lot easier to say I'm gonna quit when they force me back to the office is we all know that's probably not the right move. You shouldn't quit until you find another job. Yeah. It definitely gives you leverage in the market. But that's what people are doing right now. So I think what those numbers and what the forecast <laughs> from people is going to look like saying December this year, it's going to be very interesting, but it is because I think her, her, the closing comment from the economist at LinkedIn, the other part of that would be to interpret that job seeker traffic is down when the job that I've decided, if I'm going to make a change, this is what I'm looking for. People are going to take their time. And you're right. It'll be a tsunami that comes slowly and hits us hard. But can we move on to the next topic here? I'm going to do it. Yeah, I know this. How do I tee this up with somebody like search? Okay, let me start by saying I found this article and it was written from a candidate's perspective or slash hiring manager's perspective, not a recruiter. So I'm going to start with that. Okay. And so the what I thought we would definitely go to have a a heart to heart talk on here, Serge, is heart to heart. <laughs> a heart to heart. I think, you know, when I, I hear this in, in our local market all the time is that, oh, we can't hire, we can't find companies always whining about the, the shortage of software developers. Yep. And I think it's bullshit. You think or it's bullshit or you think I do guy in this article. Okay. Right. I, but I have always thought that much okay. if I know my value in the market, whether I'm going to work for McDonald's or Chipotle, if I'm a good software developer and you can't find good software developers because you pay 30,000 below market, there is no shortage of talent. What you have is companies that want to hire on the cheap. What do you have to say about that? search. I'll get into that. I, I will. So basically, this gentleman that wrote this is a full stack senior developer in his title. I don't think he's a hiring manager. I don't think he's ever been a hiring manager. And some of the things that he pointed out as the problems, and I'm going to deep dive on this. So problem number one, companies rely too heavily on automating filtering. Read that. First thing I thought is, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about was what? the first thing. <laughs> Why did you say that, sir? He has no clue. The minute that I okay. read that, I'm like, this article is BS. This is the same thing that people that don't understand recruitment. And there's a lot of candidates. Oh, which I, is, see what you, I know what you're saying. Which is fine. I don't expect them to understand the recruitment process, the day in life, how ATS works. But don't make assumptions and and put out facts that you think are accurate, which are 100% not true. 
there is no magic robot or filter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is filtering these people out. So if you are a job seeker and you're dealing with these career transitioning people or these hiring coaches, they'll tell you, oh, I'll work your resume. We can bypass the ATS filters. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. I would say 99% of resumes that are rejected out there are done by a human. Fair and it enough. doesn't mean you're not qualified. It doesn't yeah. mean you're not qualified. It means there's someone better than you. That happens in life. Get over it. Okay, Bye. let's talk about his next point because you're not going to get. Yeah, well, any, he lost any all push- credibility there. Like what? He lost I a did. ton of credibility. Oh, he did. Yeah, him. and fair enough. Fair enough for sure. Opening up on that. Okay, you you a little bit of misstep there, buddy. What about what he raises around the the second issue, and that is credentials. Does somebody have to be an expert in all the whole laundry list where do they have to be expert in all of? No, not at all. Not even close to being an expert. So this is where he's taking a, a very small sample size of companies that are usually not software development companies. They're usually a corporate company hiring software developers and they're using a specific type of language and they feel that person needs to have, say, JavaScript or Elixir and they're just focusing on hiring that. But I would say any high-tech companies, sure, if you have advanced skills in a particular language that they're already working, yeah, do you have a leg up? Yeah, you do. Uh, it makes sense why you do, especially depending on the project. But generally, people are trying to find people that are problem solvers and mm-hmm. can adapt to the next language. Because mm-hmm. in reality, like if you're really good, you can adapt to a new language, a new uh, tech stack fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the industry that I'm talking as like a manager, director, and is looking at hiring mm-hmm. their hiring strategies, even the CTOs, they know that we have to go across the board and we can't be focused on a language. Few exceptions, but in general, he is coming at the site as a job seeker that he didn't get a job and is trying to find a reason why he didn't get hired at particular jobs. Because I know no examples in real tech companies that this will shoot you down. So okay. I, I didn't buy that. I didn't buy okay. it at all. So let's tackle the next one, because this is something that software developers do not have the market cornered on this particular part of bias, or quite yeah. frankly, I call it just pure fucking snobbery. Because okay. so for example, I, I recruited in the engineering sector for 20 years. And if there's one thing that engineers love to do is talk technical to each other. Now, I don't care if they're software development. I don't care if they're mechanical, civil, structural, any type of engineer. I have interviewed and recruited them all. But here's the one thing I know that they love to do is to see if they can fuck you up. And they will, they'll do something like, oh, tell me a time or describe for me the closure in JavaScript and expect you to be able to recall this minutia of detail. And then they'll look at you like you're a fucking idiot if you can't answer this obscure technical question. I've seen it happen again, like I don't care what discipline of engineering it is, but they love to do this. That's more a reflection of don't ever let your engineering manager control the interview. (laughs) 
<laughs> Honestly, I think it's a lack of credibility or trust in your recruiter or your talent acquisition team. If you're controlling the interview and even that even comes into play, but I know it happens. I know oh, it does. I, 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 I agree. I definitely think it happens, but it happens in every sector, not only engineering, but the great hiring managers that I've seen in my experience has not been the case. What I've seen is what they're trying to figure out is, okay, he doesn't know the answer, but what's his thought process and how would he approach that is, is what the hiring managers that I've seen have done and is what they're looking for, especially in a market where it's extremely tough to be able to find a person at a level that you want. Where there is a gap, and one of his points is junior developers have a hard time getting hired. And there's a reason for that. A productive developer in a lot of sectors are not set up properly to train and to be able to give the support to those more junior devs that are coming in and learning because they get stuck a lot. And to get unstuck, you need to have gone through the experience. So you need to rely on a senior developer, which slows down the development time dramatically because they are already short staff. So you're now pulling a guy or a girl that is working heavily and executing quickly and, and taking some time to be able to fix other problems that mm -hmm. not to his fault, hasn't come across it. it. This is where experience in this field makes a dramatic difference. Is there junior developers that are way better than senior? Absolutely. And it happens all the time, but in general, that's not a rule. There's a certain amount of experience. So I get it. But one of the things that he said is, underpaying junior dev underpaying developers I, I just laugh i i just like yeah okay you are a developer because that is not the reality developers now are making more money than some doctors easily so saying we're underpaid as long as like everyone's fucking underpaid if you ask them <laughs> that is not an excuse i'm seeing junior straight from college getting 100k no, but that's what viable companies are paying right now just because of uh, the demand in the market. Okay. I think those are outliers search. Th I... Those are outliers. I really believe so. I think if you did a cross the board survey, regardless of whether you're developing a new gaming technology yeah. or oil field monitoring software right across the gamut, there's just, those are outliers. At a... What's the low end? What would you For say? For new grad? 60,000. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think it's higher. So say 70. How many jobs out of universities, Ex new grads that you're- Excellent point. Yep. Because I spent so many years in engineering, it depended on where the supply and demand was. So in the years that we needed environmental engineers, those new grads benefited. And th then we had a glut of mechanical engineers and every hundred graduates, maybe only 70 actually found a job. So 30% yeah. of the market decided we better go find a job landscaping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Honestly. So not all of them because there were so many of them. And there's no way to know, like going into an engineering degree and thinking when you come out the other end, that there's going to be the same demand as when you went in. Again, a great point for the topic we had in our last episode you. was around micro learning and taking yeah. those boot camps, quick courses, right? Don't go back for a four-year degree. 
it goes to the next point. So his problem number three was education is inaccessible. So his point. Oh, I knew you were. I knew you were going to have so, fun with that one. <laughs> so okay, go. Sir. He says I've been looking around, and the best company in the market offers about a maximum education budget of only only ten thousand dollars USD. Then I applied to this billion dollar company called Starbucks, and they only give you eight thousand dollars a year for your education. Oh my God. Oh, poor <laughs> guy. First of all, a lot of the best developers that I've seen have been self thought or to boot camps, and, and there's some been great from university as well. So it's a mixture. There's many avenues that you can be very successful in this space. But to come out and to think, companies, you are entitled to $10,000 a year for you to further your own education? Like, where the fuck is he coming from? Oh Sorry, my sorry. God. <laughs> I can't, uh, you know, Serge, I'm so, it's so, you're back, man. I can feel the energy coming right through the phone line or through the Zoom line right now. I never left. I never left. <laughs> so what's your take on that? So, okay, we've gone through all the points. So, you know, absolutely. And I think I'm going to quote someone who I think is one of the smartest executives that I've ever known. She was contacted by an executive search firm for a prominent, let's just say software firm, very prominent right. software firm. And right. she basically said, she said, there isn't any amount of money in this world that would get me to go work for a company where I have to listen all day long to sniveling, spoiled millennials who think they're entitled to more massages because the company across the street, they get four massage, massages a month. And she just never, like, I don't care how much the money is. So you're right. I think at the end of the day, we've got a little bit of sniveling going on. I think there's some validity in the article, but yeah, it is poor me. I'm still living in the top one, 5% of the entire population of the country but I should be making more and you should give me more benefits. That's exactly what he's saying. I need more <laughs> benefits. And he, then he tells a story about this very junior developer that worked for a year and did his job well. Yeah. And they didn't give him equity. Can you believe that? They mm. paid him to work but they didn't give him equity. Yeah. Oh my God. You know, just... I'm just, this is an industry. I think it, it is a bunch of sniveling. What's the ironic part is that the article itself was titled, I'm sick and tired of hearing tech companies complain about a developer shortage. Yeah. And well, then he goes on to whine and complain that you, that he, he's not elite enough. Yes. Like, it basically yes. what he's saying you need to is kiss my ass just a little bit yes. more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a shitty software developer and no one wants to hire me. So I'm going to write an article about something I have no fucking clue about and say it's the robot ATS that's rejecting my resume. Yeah. No, you just suck. Okay. Yeah. That's why you're not getting hired. Oh, it yeah. is definitely skill shortage in the software development world. And 
if the CEO of Google or Apple comes to tell me that's not true or anyone with any credibility in the industry that tells me that's not true, I will revisit. So anyways, right. yeah. I'm completely yeah. ignoring. I will never talk about this article again because <laughs> this guy's a nobody and should be a nobody because he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Okay, so move let's on. move on to our last politically incorrect, most awful article ever but and it's written by the evil hr lady the lovely suzanne lucas her article starts with your employees are fat you need to make your office accommodating so fair enough the truth of the matter is a few people went on exercise binges and then during lockdown they actually lost 30 pounds i have a friend that's exactly what she did and oh my god good um, for her you didn't lose it cuz i know where it is it's on my ass. <laughs> so the, the 20 pounds that she lost, she didn't lose them. I found them. I know exactly where they are. But the fact is people have put on weight and we are getting almost to the point where we have maybe changed so much, so many of our habits. That is our exercise habits, our eating habits. It's just a fact that people have put on weight. Tell me your thoughts on this article about companies being told to put together wellness programs. This is not what she's saying. Yeah. Okay. We might not have a show after these (laughs) topics. Okay. Or (laughs) no one will listen to me because I might alienate our whole audience or a portion of it. So in this article, she states that we should just buy bigger chairs for people coming into the office. And that's one of the points that she has. And I'm like, okay, all right. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. And says, like, the, all- says the guy who can't put on weight, even if he ate all day long. Uh-huh. Okay, go on. Fair right. enough. I, I That's all of the women out there that follow you because you're so charming. You might, you better be careful what you say next here, bud. Okay. In reality, where we're saying is oh, we want to bring bigger chairs to accommodate people that have gained weight. Okay. People have gained weight. Am I going to buy a whole new set of chairs for an office of, say, 10,000 people because we need bigger chairs? It just doesn't make any sense. And I'm being very careful. We've become so soft, so soft that in the sense of being overweight, it's not healthy. Sorry. Smoking is not healthy. Hey, you've gained weight. We all do. We all go through circles. But there's things you can do to improve that. And you control that destiny. So. Search. I'm going to stop you right there. Please do. Because yeah, I'm I'm just going to have to put, pump the brakes here, bud. Because you're right, and your health choices and your lifestyle. But I will tell you, no employer has the right to fucking tell you. That is between you yourself and your doctor. I maybe I, if we think about what employers can do. So if you say if people are coming back, and quite honestly. You're so cheap, you can't get a new fucking chair. Are you serious? That's my perspective. How much more can you cheap out if it's something so simple as a chair? Until well, how about we do this? Loses their weight. And so if it was because of COVID and you're coming back to work and God, nothing fits, honestly, like nothing fits, even if they were company provided uniforms, nothing fits you. And do you still value these people? Of course you do. 
Yeah. Like, do you, of course you do. Are you going to say that because I put on 30 pounds over COVID that I'm no longer valuable, that my brain is no longer valued or that I'm no longer valued and that that you wouldn't, well, or that you wouldn't, that you would be so fucking cheap as you wouldn't even buy me a new chair if I needed one. Do you know how much chairs are? Yes, Serge. They're like $1,500 a chair. They can be upwards. Yeah. They can be over a thousand dollars a chair for sure. Okay. And so, so how it, about we install ashtrays at every desk? As oh, Serge, okay. No, no. So you're, that's where you're, I think you're blurring the line here. It's I'm, just, it's simply that as an employer, realize that this transition back into the office is not going to be easy on anyone. And I think all the evil HR lady was trying to say was, if it's something so simple as get them a new chair, then get them a chair so that they're I, comfortable, especially no different than if, you're going back into a manufacturing setting and the company's too cheap to buy a rubber pad and is going to make you stand on cement all day. It's to me, it's cruel and unusual that you wouldn't provide or a stool for them to sit on if they're having to stand on a manufacturing floor. I 100% agree. Right? Uh, so why would you I think so that's cheap different than a chair for somebody to sit in an uncomfortable chair? I completely agree. Putting a rubber foot so you're more comfortable. But like chairs are universal to 99% of the population that can fit in them and comfortably. So we're going to buy thousands of new chairs because there's a couple of people that put on that COVID-19, which we all (laughs) did. We all... I I totally get it. I don't want to come across as disparaging as people gain weight, but all I'm saying that a company's responsibility in a sense is to give you the tools you need. And if there's tools that go above and beyond, I I really don't think that's the company's responsibility. I think this is where we've gone. No, it is not soft. Listen, Serge, and I think if you think back to about it, probably six or eight months ago, where employees that were sent home and they were not given even the courtesy of an office chair and relate a story of going over to a friend's place and seeing that she was sitting on her kitchen chair and she had her kitchen chair moved into the living room and three screens set up on fucking TV trays. And she is still to this day, I just bumped into her again last week. She's still working that way. I know we started off with a very controversial topic of somebody's weight, but if nothing else for the, just for the shock factor, I do believe employers have a responsibility that if you're going to ask somebody who is a knowledge worker based at home, at least provide them with a decent chair, a decent desk, because it is going to cause long-term health issues. If you're not set up properly, this is really no different. I agree on that point. I don't agree on buying all these chairs because what oh, I'm but you're you are a classically cheap person. I am very classically cheap. <laughs> One of the things that you said, and I'm all for wellness programs, like in organizations that I'm contracting for, they have these fit bingo and contests. I, I think those are fantastic, but you can't force anyone. That's not the point of it. If people want to be healthy, but what I'm seeing out there is this kind of hatred towards people that are exercising, that are keeping themselves in shape, that are disciplined. There's a lot of complaining about people that go up and above and beyond what their work is. I'm like, how entitled are we? 
Do we expect just working nine to five that we are going to be successful? This is where the chairs, it really hit me. I'm like, really? Like I get in on the clothing. I get it. If you have your uniform, make sure it fits well and it's accommodating. But are chairs really big an issue there? Like I've never heard of an issue being chairs. <laughs> and I'm not buying new chairs. Okay. I, I, I think you're going to need a shovel, Serge, okay. to dig yourself out of this hole. Because you've dug a hole that is... Uh, pretty deep there. I think it's a matter of how you value people in the workplace. And nobody's saying you're going to go out if 43% of your workforce comes back and they've gained 20 pounds. You know, I think one of the wonderful things that I think a lot of people will be looking forward to is the camaraderie of, okay, let's everybody get out and walk at lunchtime, or let's all do something together. But to say that this has somehow caused a hardship for those of us who have the hustle, I think for as long as there's been the human race, those who have hustle have always done well. No matter even if you were a farmer, there's those who just planted what you needed. And then there's those that had five different crops. Right. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody looking down their nose at those of us who've got three or four things on the go at any point in time for our entire lives. It's just how we're built. So I think all this is saying is that for those who maybe will and always have struggled with maybe obesity, let's accommodate them it, because it's not a protected. It's not a protected right. Yeah. Neither is smoking. No, it's not. So no, on that note, in Japan, there are some companies that are giving an extra six days of vacations for people that don't smoke. Like It's big over there. Oh, it's, I think that's is. an amazing strategy. It's mm -hmm. going to encourage people that smoke to quit. Serge, wonderful discussion today. I'm really excited to see what our audience thinks of, of your take on, uh, on these topics today. <laughs> You're on fire, man. You got anything uh, fun and interesting coming up? Anything you want to leave us with? Closing thoughts? Nothing too exciting. Um, how about yourself? You've been pretty busy. It's uh, no, like you, I'm living the dream. I'm just got lots of great things going on with family. The old people are healthy. So every day that goes by that the old people are still with me. <laughs> I love them, but they're old and they're a lot of work. But I mean, no. doesn't your dad listen to this? So he does. Uh, I'm going to hear about this, making a comment of calling him an old guy. I know yeah, he's exactly. still, so he had, he got his senior citizen provincial ID card renewed. And so they yeah. just used the same photo and I had to go get it done. Cause he can't like, he can't stand and can't see and all kinds of barriers. So I went and got it done for him. He gets it in the mail. He phones me and he says, I, did you have to like, whose picture is this? Like, could you have not found a better picture of somebody to put in this? And it was his photo from five years ago. And he's just in his mind. He still thinks he's young. So he yeah. sees an actual picture of himself and he's horrified. I'm exactly the same way. I look at a picture and I'm like, wow, that's not me. I look old, but reality is a, very a hard shocker, right? Uh, Perfect, Shelly. Thanks again. Great episode. Hey, we'll, we'll talk soon. soon. Thank you for listening. Bye. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts 
thought leaders and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.